I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. This is Dave Kittle, and I'm here today joined by Eric Miller. He's the chief advisor at Econologics. Eric, welcome on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for uh, carving some time in your schedule. I know you guys are busy, you and your team. Give the audience and practice owners out there a little bit of information about yourself and uh, your firm. Yeah, so about 12 years ago, I was a, I trained as a financial advisor, which you know a lot of people have experience with financial advisors, good, bad, and ugly, I guess. But it was, I came to a point in my life where I knew I wanted to help private practice owners. My family has a history in uh, in healthcare, and I just really appreciate the kind of care that these kind of people provide. But I found that they were very financially underserved. But I also saw that when it came to giving them financial advice, particularly practice owners, that I didn't understand how their business worked. And that was the biggest investment that most of them had. So I really had to, we had to do a deep dive into how does the biggest investment that an owner has, which is their private practice, how does it work? How does it operate? How can we help them improve the value? How do we help them, you know, transfer the cash flow to benefit their household so they can, you know, save, invest, get debt free and all of those things. So, so we spend all of our time working with practice owners. Our target is their household, but you know, we only cater to the private practice owner. And we start with physical therapists. You know, those were our first clients. So I have an affinity, natural affinity for working with uh, physical therapists. Excellent. So since I'm a physical therapist and, and I own a home therapy practice here in, in New York City, and since most of the audience are going to be my colleagues and, and other physical therapists across the country, maybe some other healthcare providers as well, some other practice owners and business owners, if they, because now we're in the process of we're looking to acquire practices here in New York City. And if a practice owner is potentially looking to sell or even considering it, I'm assuming, you know, it's never too early to try to get your your ducks in a row. But if you would advise even for your types of services, any type of professional services, how early or late should a practice owner reach out to you guys in terms of understanding their financial situation? How is their practice operating? Is it is it even sellable? And and things along those lines of how they can really think about their future. Do they yeah. wait until they get further? Maybe they have to sell their practice first, then they reach out to a firm like you guys. Or do you typically speak with practice owners on the front end very early or maybe somewhere in the middle? I think it's it's simple. The day that you decided that you wanted to be an owner, you took on three roles. You have the owner, executive, and your practitioner role. But you have to have the mindset that this business that I now own is a business. It's not a job. And it's an investment. So you you want to make sure that you're preparing this investment to be as valuable as possible from the day that you begin owning it. So that's when the process starts of thinking, kind of thinking with that end in mind. 
how am I going to transition out of this business at some point in time? And I, of course, want to make sure that I, that when I do it, that the practice is as valuable as possible um, so that I can get maximum value when I decide to sell. So it's a process that I, I, I always encourage owners start now, even if, even if you're just owning your practice or if you're mid career, it doesn't really matter. Start the process of getting your practice prepared. And there's a lot of different, you know, things that need to be looked at and evaluated, but you want to start the process immediately. To answer your other question, as far as like, what are some things that an owner would have in mind or they would want to have in place prior? Biggest thing is that you never want to sell when you feel burnt out. You heard that term before, I'm sure. And there's a, there's a concept of burnout that happens with a lot of owners. And all I can tell you is that if that's the case, I would be very hesitant to sell my practice when I'm in a condition of burnout. Because the reason that you're burnout is the practice is taking more of your energy away than what you're, you're putting more energy into this thing than what you're actually getting back in recognition or in compensation. And that is having an emotional drain on you. And the practice probably isn't worth as much as it could be because of that. And a practice owner in an overwhelmed, frustrated, burned out stage of their career would probably sell for a lower dollar amount purchase price because they're in that situation. They're more likely to just kind of give in as opposed to having leverage, right? Yeah. Here's the keys. I don't want it anymore. It's just too much work. It's just too much effort. So typically when I run into an owner that's that's in that condition, it's like, whoa, don't make a decision when you're in this kind of an emotional condition. There are some things that you can do to improve the cash flow, to improve the revenues, to get the practice so that it's a little bit more sellable. And you want to do that because you don't, who wants to go out like with a whimper? You'd rather go out on top. It's like going out like Michael Jordan. You want to go out making that last shot, go out on top. Got it. And just to update the audience, like, like I said, we're acquiring practices, so we're not brokers. You you guys interface as brokers or you're separate as the wealth management side, or do you also with your firm offer a service and brokerage services for an actual transaction to sell? Yeah. So we're, we're definitely not brokers. So I'm not going to help with the actual merger and and acquisition part of that, but we do understand what a broker or a buyer would be looking at to be able to give someone full value for their practice. So there are value drivers that you would look at inside of a practice to say, okay, what's the condition of this? What's the condition of the personnel? What's the condition of the finances? What's the condition of the assets and the, uh, and the records? You know, what's the condition of all these things? So there are areas that we know to look at of what a buyer would want to see in order to provide someone a higher multiple than others. Got it. In the pre-interview, we were talking about brokers. And we interface with a lot of different owners where some of them maybe are a little bit more business savvy and they're starting the negotiation with us on their own. Maybe they have their own personal accountant or attorney that they've had for years, but some owners will lead the negotiations with us. Other practice owners already have a broker or they find a broker. And I would love to get your thoughts on, does a practice owner need a broker. And I, it's always going to be depends on the person because maybe they're more or less business savvy or experienced. If they've sold or bought other practices before, obviously they would have a leg up. But what are your thoughts? Does a practice owner, a physical therapy practice owner need a broker these days? Well, look, this is uh, by and large going to be the largest financial transaction of your life for most people. So if that's the case, then you want to make sure you do it correctly. 
my viewpoint on it up to probably a couple of years ago was that maybe someone didn't need a broker because if you had enough communication lines that you could find someone or find a buyer or, you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of uh, private equity group activity and they're coming to you. I mean, they're knocking on your door and, you know, it really wasn't a huge need. I didn't think for someone to spend the four or five, 7% to find a broker where you can just go find buyers out there yourself. My viewpoints changed on that. I think people actually should hire representation. They should have someone out there that is an advocate for them, that is trying to get the best deal possible. And as I said before, because it's such a a large transaction in your life, you want to make sure that you have professional help to do so. So I would encourage people to, to hire a broker to help them. Got it. So I was just earlier, I was on your website, Econologics Financial Advisors, Dot com And one of the tabs mentions exit strategy, which, you know, when we speak with practice owners, we speak to them about, you know, we mention exit strategy and succession plan, and maybe there's slight variations of those types of definitions. But in terms of how you help physical therapy practice owners with an exit strategy, is there, first of all, what, how do you help them with that? And is there a formal process or checklist or is it informal and it depends, you know, owner by owner. Yeah. I mean, it, it does depend owner by owner. I mean, there's different options that you can utilize to look at of, of how you're going to sell your business. And that's going to be different for everyone. You know, some people have an idea of how they want to transition out and, you know, and, and of course circumstances change over one's life because your life isn't static. It changes uh, all the time. So, but yes, we do have checklists that we provide to practice owners of, of the things that buyers would look at favorably. And this goes into many different areas of your business. So you can, okay, whatever this area in particular is, let's say it's um, finance. That's a good one. Like, do I have all of my financials up to date and current? Are my profit and loss statements up to date and current? Are there any back tax issues that I have? Have my, my books been audited by a third party in the last couple of years? You know, when you go through a, a transition, it's time consuming, it's taxing, it's, there's a lot of pressure involved. And you want to make sure that you have a lot of these things done prior to that, because the due diligence process, I mean, it is exhausting to a degree because everyone's asking for a lot of information and there's a lot at stake. So there are some things that you can do prior to that so that the, the process, because you want the process to go as fast as possible. You know, you don't want to draw this thing out very long. You know, it starts going, you know, past, 180 days, even longer than that. That just gives people the reason why they, they don't want to do it. So I would try to have everything ready so that you can do a, a transaction really, really quickly. Got it. Um, and it makes sense in terms of having that support, having a broker, someone on your side. What we've noticed with those, when you're talking about like obtaining, procuring your documents as a practice owner, making sure everything is like up to date and is it handy basically? Yeah. Because when we if we reach out or we're speaking with a practice owner, if they already have a broker, they just send us the information packet. There's already information in there, like all of the PNL, the income statement, the balance sheet, everything has already been organized already. And it's kind of consolidated in a really efficient manner for us. So then we can start, you know, parsing through it and, and looking through it versus if we reach out to a practice owner and they don't have a broker and we've learned to in small waves have to ask for information and start 
getting this information from them. Because if we ask for a laundry list of all of these financial documents, it could be overwhelming for them. So yeah. there are pros and cons, but at least a pro for us is if some practice owner already is working with a broker, already uh, retained a broker, then a lot of those documents are already prepared and they're updated, like you said, maybe even audited, which would be great. So just an added benefit for a practice owner. And it's a good indicator because you as a buyer, if you see someone that's organized like that, it probably gives you a little bit more confidence because these people are like, wow, they really do pay attention to detail. And I know that I have more confidence in doing so. It's when it takes, you know, five weeks to get a profit and loss statement that someone should be able to print out just like that, or they provide, you know, boxes and boxes of information. You're like, what is this? That's a bad indicator to a buyer that you have disorganization and you can't, you can't grow on chaos. That is for right. sure. Right. So how about this? If a physical therapy practice owner, let's say they have a couple of locations, they're doing 2 million gross top line revenue per year. How much of their financial future should be figured out or planned prior to putting their practice on on the market or selling their practice or, again, finding yeah. a broker? Well, look, I mean, prior to you selling, there's really two simple questions you have to ask yourself. Am I financially ready to sell and am I emotionally ready to sell? And financially ready means... Do I have other income sources or am I going to be dependent largely on the sale proceeds of the practice to fund my desired lifestyle, whatever that is? My contention is, is that you should not rely 100% on just the sale of the practice to fund whatever your lifestyle is going to be post-practice sale. So you would want to make sure that you start getting prepared right away to build other income sources outside of your business. Someone that's got a $2 million practice, it's a pretty good practice. They should be able to channel, you know, a good percentage of their profits away each year to the household so that they can create other income sources. So it is a, it is a missing piece for most practice owners. Most practice owners that, that I run across are doing the bare minimum. They're, you know, maybe putting money inside of a 401k plan, maybe putting money in an IRA account, but they're not really building significant assets outside of their practice. And that's a big mistake, uh, I think. So we really try to get people to utilize their practice cash flow better so that they can, you know, expense their profits to their household to get the household financially independent. Got it. If you were to help a physical therapy practice owner through this whole process, what are some things that you see that make sense? I mean, maybe there's a slight change now with inflation, but if a practice owner were to exit their practice and have a great deal of money. And obviously we know this is not financial advice and we're not, yeah. we're not pinning you to this, but what have you seen some of your clients do? Like, do they take some of that money and do they diversify? Do they put it in the stocks? They put it into real estate. Do they use that to, depending on their age, maybe they start a new business. Do they have it, you know, liquid so that they can go traveling and just kind of have a comfortable retirement? Obviously it depends on the exit size, but what are maybe just some asset areas or asset classes that you see your clients interested in after a potential sale? Yeah, certainly. I think the, and again, this, this probably exposes a bigger problem because a lot of people that have worked with, you know, a local financial advisor who's kind of used to just managing their investment portfolio, you know, all of a sudden, hey, here's four, five, six million dollars that this person gets, and they utilize the same philosophy 
that they did before, which is largely just putting it in U.S. equities and, and the stock market. You have to think like more of like a family office approach, especially when you get a large influx of money. And the approach that most of those family office managers have is risk management. The money's been made. Like the money was made on the sale of the practice. Like I don't, the rates of return aren't as important now because I've created the wealth. The wealth has been created. Now the responsibility on both the person that, that sold and their advisor is to manage the risk. So that means that you are allocating money both in direct investments. When I say direct investments, maybe like alternative investments, private placement deals, you're, you know, as an accredited investor, you would be um, open to some of those deals. Certainly public securities would fit the mold somewhere, but probably not as heavily weighted as what most people are in their 401ks and their, in their current situation. And then insurance products, you know, annuities, cash value life insurance. I mean, these are industries that have been around hundreds of years for a reason because they provide guaranteed income for practice owners. So in combination with that, you know, and I, and I really try to encourage people if they can to own their building because it can be a, a really good asset, especially when you sell as an income source because the new, the new buyers get a need to practice somewhere. And if you own the building, then you can just get the rent as a landlord from there. And it's a pretty powerful income stream. So I don't know if I answered all that question, but uh, that's how I would, it really is a risk management approach. It's not just, Hey, let's just put all this money in an S and P 500 index fund. And, you know, it really has to be a thoughtful process. Right. And, and you know, that the cost of real estate up here in New York city is pretty expensive. So we have interfaced with a few practice owners that happen to actually own the real estate. And obviously they own the practice there. So we're definitely in the, the mindset where like, we're just looking to, be a leaseholder and acquire practices. But some of those practice owners that we've spoken with, like they definitely got comfortable really quick. Like, you know, as long as we all like each other, if they were to sell to a physical therapy buyer, it makes their life easier. It's not like you have to convert that space into some other exactly. some other business or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a really powerful asset and they're very valuable. And, you know, at some point as you guys are acquiring more practices, You'll probably get to that point where you'll have enough cash flow where you guys can start buying the buildings as well. Kind of that Ray Kroc McDonald mentality and uh, and get into that space. But yeah, you're right. Most buyers right now are not buying the buildings or are they interested in the buildings, but they do sign relatively good leases. You know, most of them are five-year leases, 10-year leases, you know, renewable every five years with 2% increase every single year. So they're actually pretty good investments. The buildings are pretty good investments. What have you seen in terms of with clients selling? Do you see them typically sell if they own the real estate of their healthcare practice? Have you seen a lot where they're selling in the same transaction? They're selling the practice and the real estate? Or I mean, maybe it's a mixed bag and sometimes they retain the real estate like in, in our desire and then sell the actual practice and the, you know, the patient list and, and all that? It all depends on who's buying them. So if they're like, you're selling to a competitor or a corporate entity, most of them are not interested in, in buying the building. If you're selling to like an associate or it's kind of an internal buyout, then sometimes I've seen that where the, the person that's buying it would like to have the real estate. I typically advise people not to sell the real estate and the business in the same transaction, maybe just 
three years later, work it in so that that person has the right to buy the building at some point in time. But you really want to keep it as an income source. And you wouldn't do that from an income standpoint and from a tax standpoint, too. Right. And the one reason, like you said, whether it's us or, or another equity back or, or some other type of group that's going to look to just be a leaseholder and acquire the practice, not do the real estate. If you're listening and if you own the practice and the real estate, it's nothing against it. It's just, it takes more capital to actually acquire the real estate. As of course. Well, right. Yeah. And there's groups now, there's private equity groups that are only going out and just buying practice buildings. So they've created these groups now just to go buy practice buildings because they see that they are very valuable investments. So that's another reason why you'd want to hang on to it if you could. So in, in that case, they know that the tenants who would be the physical therapy owner, chiropractic owner, et cetera, they know it's a very stable niche industry. It's always going to be in demand. So yes. I'm assuming that's why a group like that would be interested in just acquiring the real estate. I, I think it's, it's uh, maybe it would be challenging if a practice owner owned the real estate and the practice. Have you ever seen a transaction where there's two buyers and it's one transaction at the same time? I mean, typically it sounds like it would be easier to be separate. Two buyers and one transaction at the same time. So, so let's say practice owner in New York City, they yep. own the real estate and they own the practice. We come in, we come to buy the practice. There's the other fund or firm that you just mentioned. They want to buy the real estate. Oh, Does the seller sell both of those at the same time? And are those, I mean, two separate deals or part of the same transaction? How, how would that work? It would be two separate deals. Although the group buying the building would certainly want to talk with the group that's buying the practice because sure. there needs to be a lease agreement in place there, which is another reason why you want to make sure that even if you own your building, you have a lease agreement, like you, you keep it separate. You have its own LLC. There's a separate lease agreement with your practice that way you have proof of that the practice can afford the rent that you're going to be asking from the new buyer. So Got it. it's, um, but they're very valuable investments and I would, I'd encourage people to try to grab their buildings if they can, but in New York, it's probably not as easy to do. Right. Yeah. Let's say a practice owner comes to you and says, you know, Hey, Eric, we're looking to potentially sell in the next three to five years. They're not in any rush at all. Yeah. Do you work with these clients? Do you advise them on, practice value or even, you know, valuation and optimizing their practice so that when they are ready to sell in the next three to five years, they understand the process, they understand how their business is valued, they can actually potentially optimize and improve that between now and then. And at the same time, they'll be smarter and more prepared for how the negotiations go and, and what a buyer is actually looking for in their practice. Yes. So, so to your point, definitely. We actually do an appraisal on most of our practice owners when they start working with us, just so they can see like what the what their EBITDA numbers would look like. And that's important for them because they can see how much cash flow that the practice is actually providing their household. And it's a lot more than what people actually think. So it's a good exercise to show them that and to show them like, look, you're in a range right now where you know, you're probably not going to get more than maybe like a two or a three multiple. Whereas if you do, if you expand, if you, you know, increase, you know, hire more PTs, you can get that multiple up to maybe a, a six to a seven multiple. So we definitely make sure that they understand the value of their business and then things that they can do to improve the value of their business. And, you know, it's, it's not a lot of complex stuff. I think for most people, they have a certain size of a facility 
and they're probably only operating at 50 or 60 percent of its capacity. So really, it's just an exercise in showing them, look, you need to get this thing up to 80 to 90 percent of its capacity. It's just going to not only allow you more cash flow for your household, but it's going to increase the value of the business by doing that. And just pointing out simple things like that always tends to help owners. Yeah. One thing that I would definitely suggest, and I would love to hear your feedback on this, is if an owner is thinking about exiting and selling in the future, we're much more favorable to an owner who the practice, like maybe they're treating patients one day a week or maybe not even at all. That's ideally like they've built all the systems processes. They have staff, they have payroll, the front desk. Everything is just completely running smoothly. Maybe not optimal capacity that can always be improved. But we also have practice owners reach out to us and they're intertwined in the the treatment of patients and, and they want to treat patients. And there's many practice owners that want to keep doing that. That's totally fine. I get it. But when we speak with practice owners and they're asking for a ballpark multiple of EBITDA or a ballpark, you know, purchase price, depending on their, their revenue and their net profit and all of the inner workings of, of what they have going on, we let them know that it's much more valuable. We will pay you more if you are not treating patients and you're not intertwined in actually producing or completing the service and treating patients, do you see, or do you, do you speak with practice owners about that specifically? Do you kind of let them know that you might take a dip in personal income between now and when you sell, but it actually more valuable when you go to sell, if you're not actually in the trenches every day. Yeah. It's funny because the owners that I've seen that have had that consideration about, well, if I bring someone on, that takes me out of patient care, that's going to lower the amount of money that I'm able to get from the practice. And the exact opposite generally happens. When you really hire people to do functions that allow you to, you to free your time to be able to expand or go out and find do more PR activities or you know expand the business, hire better people, then you're going to get it back, especially when you transition. So, you know, but that's, again, that's just, being more of an owner executive than trying to get stuck down in the practitioner role. And, you know, a buyer to your point, you know, if you're responsible for like 20% or 25% of the production of the practice, they're just going to look at that unfavorably because it's like, okay, well that person has to be there now. And if your goal is to want to stay and work for another three or four years, that's fine, but you're still never going to get the maximum value for it. If that's the case. So you definitely want to work yourself out of a position as a practitioner. Not only that, you're just much more valuable as an executive anyway to the organization, I think. So that's a tough thing to get through a someone that's been trained to deliver healthcare. You know, like that's what I know. Like I'm really good at being a practitioner. Okay, that may be that may be the case, but that's the lowest paying position in your practice. Your owner and your executive. Uh, skills are much more valuable and have the ability to pay you a much higher value if you do them right. So, got it. Circling back to life insurance and life insurance policy, you help them with that? Yeah, sure. As far as like products are concerned, I mean, the any investments, any insurance products that that people need, you know, we're we're, we're full service. You know, we do alternatives. We do, you know, I can advise on anything as a registered investment advisor. But I think it's the approach is. Your ideal financial scene would look like this. You would want to have uh, a household that has multiple income streams coming in, 
free of all bad debt, assets that are protected from taxes, inflation, and lawsuits. Your business is in a uh, maximum value condition and you have time to pursue whatever life goals that you have. That's the strategy for most people. At least that's what the goal should be. And, you know, getting people into that condition is what a financial advisor should be doing. You know, product sales, all those things are, are certainly part of it. But the strategy would be, how do I get to that condition as fast as I possibly can? And that's the game for most practice owners. You helped a practice owner that was, let's just say, 60 years old. They just, they never had a life insurance policy beforehand. Mm -hmm. You help them during this process. They exit. Are they behind the eight ball because they had a plan where they haven't paid into a policy or now they have a lump sum of money? They could potentially start with a life insurance policy at that age. Is it ever too late to start? I probably wouldn't do a life insurance policy for a 60 year old. You can do another type of product called an annuity, although you really can't do that in New York because New York doesn't look at annuities very favorably. So I mean, that's, it's not restricted. I mean, there are other options that somebody like that would have as far as like being able to have a comfortable retirement. But yeah, it's going to be dependent upon the circumstances and the state that that person is in or whether or not they can use certain insurance products. Got it. And right now, just in terms of your, your coverage of practice owners, are you just in the, like in the United States, North America, elsewhere, or is it certain states that you help practice owners? So all over the place, we have practice owners in, in all 50 states. So from Hawaii to Maine, I like to say, uh, we have we help practice owners in all these different states uh, with a lot of big portion of our clientele are physical therapists. So like I said, that was the start that we got. We started working with physical therapists 12 years ago. So they've always been kind of a, a favorite of mine in working with them. And their industry industry is, you know, to me, it's a great industry to be in right now. There's a real opportunity. This industry, the, the whole healthcare industry, obviously, is a good opportunity, but there's a lot of consolidation going on right now. Uh, and even with the consolidation going on right now, there are so many more independently owned practices out there than there are corporate owned. So it's there's such a huge opportunity to, to go out there and, and really take it. But you got to know how to run a business. I mean, that's the, the skill that most people didn't learn in PT school is like, how do I do that? So, you know, get part of groups and, you know, find other consultants that can help you, you know, show you how to run the business. It's so important. It's so, yeah, no, it, I mean, it's the same thing as if someone has low back pain and they go on YouTube to try to, you know, treat their own lower back pain. And then they get frustrated that it like doesn't work right away or or whatever. So same type of, same type of idea, like don't try to do your own accounting, get an accountant, Yep. Try to do your own, you know, legal documents, get a lawyer. And then also in terms of long-term planning, exit strategy, wealth management, definitely speak to a firm like you guys, as opposed to, you know, talking to a neighbor or someone and, you know, may have gone through a sale of their business and now they have some extra money, but definitely always makes the most sense to speak to a specialist. Definitely build a, a competent team. And that team may change as you grow, you know, so the people that that you start. I mean, it's the hardest thing for people to recognize is that the team that I have right now may not be the same team that I'm going to have, you know, as I try to scale. And you got to look at people that are competent, that have the ability to kind of adjust to where you're going, but you have to know exactly where you're going. Do you want to have a $10 million net worth? Do you want to have a $20 million net worth? Do you want to have a $50 million net worth? You know, I'm assuming that, you know, what you guys are doing, you're trying to acquire you know, as many practices as you possibly can, because you want to exit out for at some point, 
a good amount of money, you know, so it takes different skills right. to be able to do that. There are different levels to the financial game. And if you just want to have, you know, like the traditional model of just having like two or $3 million in retirement accounts, you can do that, but it's, you know, you're only one health issue, one lawsuit, one stock market crash away from having 50% of your, your wealth reduced. So you really need to make sure your target is much higher. I think most practice owners should have a target of at least seven to $10 million in total assets. And I know that's like, what? I'm like, but what are you doing it for? You know, do you really want to be able to live the life that you want to live? Or do you just want to be able to just to get by? So that's the question that you have to kind of ask yourself. For sure. If a private practice owner is just, you know, thinking about researching what you guys do, what else is out there? Is there a, a certain practice owner that qualifies or would best qualify for you guys? Like, is there a certain minimum in terms of either net worth or income or practice size or years in business? Is there any type of minimum that a practice owner would just need to get to in order to reach out to you guys? You know, I think at, at minimum doing at least a half a million dollars in, in revenue would be a start. I mean, typically we like to see people doing at least a million dollars in revenue in their business because I, I can make a meaningful impact on that person. I can show them how to channel money from their business to their household. But, you know, if you're doing 100,000 in revenue, 200,000 in revenue, it's kind of tough to do so. So really someone that's in that, let's, let's say 750 to a million dollar revenue range we can make a dramatic impact on their household financial condition in really less than a year, just by showing them how to um, reconfigure how they're paying themselves, how they're pulling profits uh, or lack of profits and really make sure they're operating on the right targets. Excellent. Yeah. I just had a colleague tell me a week or two ago about anything that is spent as an expense in your business it should be an investment. There should be some ROI to it, either an objective number or there's some subjective, like there's going to be some return that actually it's, you're building the business, right? I'm assuming that would also include your costs and your fees, just like any other, you know, a lawyer, an accountant, it's an investment in yourself and the practice, as opposed to some big shock at, at how much something like this might cost. For sure. Look, the two basic rules that I always uh, I live by is that your business is going to try to spend everything that it makes and then some, and it will will try to spend everything that it makes, but it will also make what it thinks it needs to make to cover its most vital expenses. And if you want to have profits, if you want to have reserves, if you want to have money come into the household, then you have to incorporate those things in as expenses. And once you do that, it puts the correct estimate of how much revenue the business needs to bring in every single month. I can go to 10 practices probably in the New York area, and I could probably find that most of them are underestimating what their make break number actually needs to be by probably 10, 15, $20,000 or more, right? Because they're underestimating what they think they need to make. They're not including their, their taxes. They're not including their owner compensations. They're not including you know, having a couple months of business reserves inside their bit, they're not including all these things as actual needs and therefore the practice isn't making it. So, you know, just those things right there, get someone to say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm making 80,000 a month, but I need to be making a hundred thousand a month. Okay. Well, 
great. So how many more patient visits do you have to do to make up that gap? It's never as hard as what you think it is, but you got to get the right number. You know, you can't operate on the wrong number. So if you're always stressed about money, if you're always wondering why I have to borrow to pay tax or why I don't have enough in my household, you're just underestimating what your business make break needs to be. And once you get that reconfigured and get the demand on the business correct, it'll cover it. It just always does. It's kind of mystical that way. That's awesome. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Eric. This was awesome. Very informational. If there's anyone in the audience that's watching, that's listening, they want to reach out to you. You guys can check out, first of all, check out econologicsfinancialadvisors.com on the web. What's a good place if someone wants to reach out to you or the firm, whether it's an email address, LinkedIn, website, elsewhere? Yeah. I mean, they can just go to the website and then uh, we have the ability to take an online assessment. So you can go to the website. There's an online assessment that we everyone take. It's about a hundred questions, just yes, no, or maybe. And that will allow you to, you know, generate like a score for your personal financial condition, or you can just download a book. We have a book financial success guide for physical therapists that they can download as well. Excellent. Well, Eric, thank you for your time. Would love to have you back in the future. And uh, if there's anyone, any practice owner that I speak with that is uh, looking for wealth management and and financial services, I'll definitely not hesitate to reach out to you and uh, send them your way. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Bye now. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.